This morning, we are going to see this transforming glimpse of glory. The transforming glimpse of glory. Make your way to the 17th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Matthew 17 is we'll be making our way there in a few moments. I'll never forget the first moment that I saw Emily. Now, I'd seen her in passing, but the moment, like, I saw her. Like, my brother, he was refereeing upward basketball, wasn't able to do it. And so I, I, I came in late one night um, from the University of Kentucky and said, hey, man, could you do it for me? I said, sure, I will. And, and I'll never forget, I'd finished refereeing the first game, and I run into the Life Center to get a drink of water just for a moment. And when I run in there to get a drink of mo- water, right there she is standing behind the counter smiling. And it was like, hello, right? It was kind of one of those moments. And uh, the rest of the time, I was just thinking, what can I call a timeout? Can I throw somebody out? I just need to get another drink of water, right? I mean, that's what I kept thinking. Like, man, when's the next moment I'm going to see her again? And uh, it was a moment in my life in which God had been just bringing radical transformation. I'd been a believer, a follower of Christ, but there were things in my life that God was just, again, redeeming in a mighty way. And I was convinced at that point, hey, God, if it's your intention for me to marry, then, then I want to be certain about some things. Uh, she, she, she must be a Jesus-loving people-loving, Bible-believing, Bible-living, spirit-filled, born-again sister. Can I get a witness? Right? I mean, I hope that's what you're after. You're thinking through some of those things. Again, for you ladies to be a born-again brother, right? But again, nonetheless, you're looking for it. But that moment, man, it just captured my heart. And maybe the words of Randy Travis might ring well. I'm no longer one of those guys. As sure as I live, this love that I give is going to be yours until the day what? I die. Yeah, you've heard it. Oh, baby, I'm going to love you what? Forever, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Come on, man. Yeah. It was one of those moments, right? You, you Sounds like maybe you've had one of those moments where a glimpse of someone just, it, man, it just, it just captured your heart. Maybe it's that person sitting next to you. For some of you, man, there's a glimpse of that child or grandchild, right? I mean, there's just a glimpse of someone you had an encounter when your heart was just absolutely compelled toward that person. You began to plan your days about how you might speak to them or talk to them. Even now, right? I mean, as parents, grandparents, you may be ordering your week thinking about what's my kiddo got coming next? What are my grandkids got going on? What's coming next? Those people that are just significant in your life. Maybe it's a close friend, but man, you have that just, you're just drawn to that person. I think it reminds us in, in a small way about the encounter that we could have with the glory of God that transforms our heart in a major way. Because the person that we are loving and caring about, let's be honest, they're sinners. There's times they're going to stumble, they're going to fall. But there's a God who you could fix your gaze upon that you're going to see today, I hope and pray, is that when we look at Jesus, He changes us. When we look at Jesus, He changes us. Listen to what Paul says about this looking at Jesus. Just for a moment, listen to it. 2 Corinthians 3.18, he says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And listen to what he says. For this comes from who? The Lord, who is the Spirit. He says, as we behold who Christ is, the power of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit begins to transform the believer from one degree of glory to another. He's saying that as you look upon Christ and the Word, the Spirit does a transforming work that the believer becomes more and more like Jesus Christ. It's a transforming work. But the reality is you and I live in the midst of a world of suffering, of hardship, of brokenness, a world of valleys. 
And those moments can have a tendency to tell us to give up hope or grow discouraged or maybe my faith no longer matters. We might even say, what's the point? But I think today you're going to see as we look to God's Word here in Matthew 17 that when we look at Jesus, He changes us. But maybe you're asking today, well, why should I do that? Or what makes Jesus so special? And so if you would, if you would just turn with me to the Word of God, we're going to allow the Word of God to show that by the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal that to us. And today I think we come, again, walking through this text, hearing first that we are to behold Jesus. That means to look at Jesus the beloved Son of God, to look at Jesus, the beloved Son of God. Why? Because looking at Jesus, when we look at Him, He changes us. And the church, we know that we look at Jesus by looking to the Word because He is the Word. So look at me if you would, beginning in Matthew chapter 16. Let's, let's pick up verse 28 and then we'll launch into chapter 17. Listen to Jesus' strange statement. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. That's a perplexing statement, right? They're not going to taste death. There's some that are actually standing here, right? There's some folks that are present that are not going to taste death until they see the kingdom of Man, Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Well, the reality is the Son of Man His kingdom hasn't come yet, and we know none of those people are still alive. So what's Jesus saying? It's a challenging statement, but I, I think the context bears witness that He's saying that these folks, there's some of them, not all of them, but some of them are about to see Jesus in His glory. And in fact, that's the very next words that Matthew says. So again, a challenging verse, right, nonetheless. But I think context, again, that's what we talk about, reading the Bible in context. What's it say before the verse, after the verse? That helps us interpret. Listen to what he says. And after six days, verse 1 of Matthew 17, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. What's this mean? Listen what he says. And his face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared who? Who was with him? Moses and who else? Elijah talking with them. They've come from the very presence of God. They've shown up. And Peter says in verse 4, Lord, it's good that we're here. If, if you wish, I'll make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he is still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadows them. And a voice from the cloud speaks. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. What a moment. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. What's happening here is, is a pretty epic moment, right? I mean, this is, let's be honest, this is one of the greatest moments in the history of the universe that's unfolding right here. But it has echoes of what took place in the Old Testament. And you don't have to turn there, but maybe if you just mark down Exodus 24, Exodus 34. What happens there is interesting. Is that Moses, the very one that's appearing along with Elijah here, Moses goes up, guess what? A high mountain. And guess how many other people he takes with him? What do you guess? Three. Guess how many people Jesus is doing? He's going up a high mountain, he's taking with him three. There's echoes here of something happening. Guess what happened when Moses got on that high mountain? A cloud came up. And guess what? God appeared and spoke to Moses. God spoke to him from the cloud. 
In fact, later, the next, 10 chapters later in Exodus, Exodus 34, Moses has a similar experience. And this time, listen, he encounters God. And the glory of God is so great that when Moses goes down the, the mountain, his face is glowing. It's shining. And what they have to do to his face, do you remember what they did? They put a veil over it, don't they? They put a veil over it because it was just so hard to look at what Moses' face, it was shining. Matthew is clearly connecting us to that moment. In fact, he's saying, guys, in case you're missing what's happening here, Moses is actually here. You hear the echoes. It's a high mountain. There's three with him. A bright cloud comes. Now God speaks. But something else is happening that's unique. It's in a moment here that says, yes, Moses had this unbelievable moment and Moses was a great leader. But remember, Moses said there's going to come one after him that was going to be like him, but greater. And you must listen to him is what he said here in this moment at Jesus transfiguration. Matthew is showing us how much greater is. Right. I mean, the reality is Moses is there. Moses is the giver of the law. Elijah is there. He's the greatest of the prophets. Right. So what you have with Moses and Elijah present is the law and the prophets. And what this moment is saying to us, that everything in the Old Testament has been pointing to Jesus. The law points to him. The prophets point to him. He is, as he said on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, everything in the Old Testament points to me. He's the high point of Scripture. Therefore, guess what? Look to Jesus. Look to him. That's what God's saying. Listen to him. Look to him. I mean, like it's this moment almost like it's a Superman type moment, isn't it? I mean, think about that for a moment, right? When you think about Superman, Clark Kent, right? Clark Kent is this normal reporter, but when moments arise that call for it, he runs into what? Do you remember what he runs into? A phone booth, right? Yeah, he runs in the phone booth and he comes out as who? Superman. So I have a question for you. Is Clark Kent still in the phone booth? No. Thank you. The reality is Clark Kent is always Superman. Just only at certain moments does he reveal it. In this moment, guess what, guys? Jesus is always the son of God. But Philippians 2 says that he humbles himself. He takes on flesh and he veils his glory. But in this moment of Matthew 17, Jesus has gone up on the mountain to the the phone booth, so to speak, we might think in Superman terminology. And up on that mountain, he's revealing to everyone, I am the Son of God. It's an unbelievable moment, right? I mean, we might say to everyone around us, behold our God. But listen, to better understand this, we have to realize that that Moses, again, has this encounter. But Moses, maybe think about this. Moses is like the moon, right? I mean, the moon has no light of its own. The moon gets light from where? The sun, right? So the moon is simply reflecting the sun. But Jesus, guess what? He's not the moon. He is the sun. So when he's on the mountain, he's not reflecting. He's revealing. I am the true son of God. It's the glory of God being revealed. It's this unbelievable moment. He's radiating the glory of God. It says the writer in Hebrews 1.3 says to us, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. The exact representation of God's being. In other words, In Jesus' own words, in fact, if you have seen me, you have seen who? The Father. This is God being revealed to us, church. It's an unbelievable moment. To see Jesus is to see God. If you've wondered, I wonder who God is, the New Testament screams to you and I, then look to Jesus and you will see him. What a moment. 
But in this moment, our good buddy Peter speaks as he often does, right? And listen to what he says again, back in verse 4 here of, um, so again, he, Moses and Elijah have shown up. Peter says, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, Mark 9 and Luke 9 both record this account. So you can sometimes maybe go help. It helps to read those. But Mark 9 Luke 9 are both recording what exactly happens here. And Mark 9 says to us that Peter is speaking out of fear. He doesn't know what to say. He just says something, right? He just, some of you are like that, right? Sometimes you don't know what to say, but man, you're just going to say something, right? Others of you, like, you need to say something, but you just choose to play quiet as a mouse, right? It's just, and oftentimes, like it's been said, right, that, that, that silent stream marries a babbling brook, right? I don't know how that works, but oftentimes it does, right? The reality is, but Peter's, I mean, he's just the babbling brook. He's just got to say something. And so, man, he opens up and he just begins to speak. And listen, I think it's, it's reality. Like, I mean, what Peter's saying is like, I, we don't know exactly what he means by the tense, right? There's some confusion around that. But, but might it be possible that Peter's like, dude, this is like, this is the bomb.com. Like, why don't we just set up shop and stay here a while? I mean, have you ever felt like that? You ever been on like a vacation and you get like two days left to going back home and you're like, man, only two days left, right? You ever feel like you just don't want to go back? Some of you are on the opposite end, right? You're like, oh, two days more, how long to get home? But no, I mean, some of you, listen, you, you may have been on a date at some point, right? That significant other and man, you're just like, I don't want this date to end. Right. I mean, others of you, you just like you get to the meal and the meal is just absolutely scrumptious and like at Thanksgiving or sometime. And you're thinking, I've only got two bites of dressing left and this meal is going to be over. Right. I mean, you just feel the weight of that. Peter seemingly maybe is feeling the weight of just saying, can we just stay here? I mean, this is what we've been after. We, I've just confessed that you are the Christ, the son of the living God in Matthew 16. That good confession. Maybe we'll just stay here as your glory is being revealed. And then God speaks, verse 5. And I think this is the high point of this portion of Matthew 17. It says, while Peter's still speaking, God interrupts him and says, this bright cloud overshadows them, and a voice from the cloud says, this is my beloved son, with whom what, church? I am well pleased. What? Listen to him. It's, it's just, it's a great moment, right? I mean, in light of this, like in light of this, we should follow him. In light of these verses right before us, there's a call, right? I mean, listen, he says, listen to him. And I think it has to strike us because of what Jesus just said in the previous verses of Matthew 16. He says, if you want to come after me, deny yourself, take up your what? Your cross and follow me. We talked about it last week, the life of following Christ, the life of suffering, a life of self-denial. It's a life of giving up ourselves to embrace God. But it's, there's hope there because as we're going to see that God is going to bring good from our suffering. God is going to use this to glorify himself. But the reality is, again, Moses and Elijah are not on the same level of Jesus. Jesus surpasses them. As one pastor says, what this means is Jesus does not point to the glory of God like Moses did, like Elijah did, like leaders of all other world religions. They try to point to some type of God, right? These guys point to the one true God, Moses and Elijah. But other religions point to some God. And Matthew's saying to us, Jesus doesn't point to God. He is God. Everybody else is pointing to God. Jesus is saying, I am God. I'm God in the flesh. Thus, all are called to come and worship and follow him. Right? It's, again, thinking about this as you listen to Jesus. Might I ask, it's like, when do you listen to Jesus? Do you give yourself to this call from God to listen to the Son? Right? Because remember, when we look at Jesus, he changes us. 
Paul says that we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another as we behold Him. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. So I want to ask, how often are you seeking after that glimpse of glory? How often are you intentionally looking to listen to Him? I want to encourage you today to do what you're doing, to regularly gather with the church to hear God's Word preached, to gather with a Sunday school class or a community group, to hear God's Word, yes, but also in our community groups, we're being intentional. We're holding one another accountable to live this life. Maybe you, too, feel like, man, as a believer, I need accountability in my life. I would invite you to come, be a part of a community group on Sunday nights. I, I, I hope and pray you would consider it. But again, asking you that question, when do you listen to God? For some of you, that's going to mean that you need to set an alarm early in the morning and get up before you go to work and spend time alone with the Lord. For others of you, that may look like taking your Bible to work and on a lunch break when you go out to your car or get away for a few moments and you open the Word and you read. For others of you, that's going to look like, just like you heard in Landon's testimony, your family gathering around the table with the Word of God open and sharing that Word with others who are in your home or your own soul. I want to encourage you. Why? Because when we look at Jesus, He changes us. Are you listening to Him? Well, you might say to me today, well, Blake, of course, that's easy, dude. That's mountaintop stuff. But the reality is, bro, I don't know if you know it or not, but I live a lot of my life in the valley, the really hard points of life. And it's easy on the mountaintop, but not so much in the valley. To the valley we now turn as we hear this truth. Behold Jesus, the God of the impossible. Behold Jesus, the God of the impossible. Luke 9 uh, records for us that the very next day they begin to come down the mountain. All right, And Matthew is sharing that same account. He says in verse 9 of Matthew 17, As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Why? Because everybody thinks that if you're the true Messiah, you're going to throw off Roman oppression and bring freedom. And Jesus says, Actually, I've come to die. And so these guys are told to tell no one until after the Son of Man is raised. The disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say that the first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. You're saying Malachi says that Elijah is going to come before the Messiah. And then, then where is he? He says, look, he says, verse 12. But I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the son of man will certainly suffer at their hands. Who was the Elijah who was who had already come? Who is it? JB, isn't it? John the Baptist. Look at verse 13. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of who? John the Baptist. He is the Elijah to come. Oh, so you're saying that Elijah's now come? That's clear that now it means the Messiah can clearly come. He's, he's here. That's the prophecy. That's what Jesus is saying. But listen, this moment now, verse 14, is this ebb and flow. And again, I, I wanted part of me just desperately wanted just to preach the transfiguration. But I felt like, man, there's such wisdom in maybe getting a big scope today. Because the reality is we all know we don't find ourselves constantly on mountaintops, but we often crash to the lowest valleys and sometimes find ourselves in between. And that's what happens here. The ebb and flow of life crashes into them in verse 14 of Matthew 17. Listen to this. And when they came to the crowd, remember they're going down the mountain, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son. Feel the weight of this. Can you imagine if this, this is your child? This is your grandchild. This is your spouse whom you love. Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls in the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. 
And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Again, we've just seen this mountaintop moment of Jesus revealing his glory, and now they come down the mountain to encounter this. And it's a harsh moment. It's a harsh moment because verse 15 says this child, right again, this is, it's a son, this is a child, is having seizures, he suffers terribly. We find out later from verse 18 that there's a, the work of demonic in light of this, right? This occasion doesn't mean that all things that happen right, but in this occasion, there's a work of the demonic in this. Notice what it says here, again, that there's some really hard text here. He often falls into the fire, often into the water. There's there's a desire by the demon to hurt this child, to kill this child. I mean, I don't know about you, but have you ever walked outside like on a really cold day and like smacks you in the face? It like hurts. This hurts. Like we came out of the warmth of the mountaintop, Jesus in his glory, and we come into this. I mean, has your life ever happened that way, though? I mean, in one moment, like everything is absolutely rocking. And the next moment you are getting rocked. It's hard. But I think the reminder is in the midst of this that the hardest of moments do not stop the glory of God. Oh, thank you, Tony. Amen to that. It's hard. See, I think it's a reminder why we need the church because sometimes when you're in a really hard moment, you just can't say amen to that. You, you want to, but man, it's just hard. Sometimes, again, it's just encouraging to have other brothers and sisters around you who have been through hard moments and God by His grace is bringing them out. They've walked through it. They've been through hard moments. And sometimes it's just hard for us to get out that amen. But to hear that other brother, to hear that other sister that you've seen struggle. And I'm telling you, this church is blessed. We've had some absolutely godly men and women, senior adults who now have gone on the Lord. And we've seen them walk faithfully before us. We've heard their amens. Even now, Hebrews 11 says that that great people that have gone before us, they encourage us now. They continue to hear that amen. But man, this is the moment of Jesus revealing His glory. He rebukes the demon. The child is healed. It's another glimpse, church, of us, of the glory that is to come. This small, but it's a small moment, yes, but it's a monstrosity of a moment that gives us all a glimpse into eternity. Why? Because what Jesus did here for this one, one day he will do for all who are in Christ. Let the sick in this church who are in Christ say amen. Let the lonely in this church who are in Christ say amen. Let the depressed in this church who are saddened and beat down in Christ let you say amen. This glimpse of glory is what he did for this one one day. It may not experience it in this life, but one day there's going to be freedom. Church, here, there's going to be no more sickness, no more suffering, no more child, children that are hurting, no more spouses that are weak, no more moms and dads and grandparents who are, are forgetting and can't remember. For those who are in Christ, listen, there's going to be no more depression, no more cutting, no more suicide, no more enemy. Hallelujah! This is our God! What a mountaintop moment even in the valley. But Matthew isn't done. He continues on telling us the tension of the story. Listen to it as we pick up verse 19. Then, then, right? It's just another next movement. The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, 
Well, why couldn't we cast it out? He said to them, here's the reason, because. Because of your what? Little faith. For. Right? Gives them a reason why further. Truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be what? Impossible for you. Wow. Now listen, back in Matthew 10, the disciples were actually given power over demons, and they had exercised the power. Thus the question comes, well, hey man, we did it before. Why can't we do it now? And I think it's a reminder to us again, as he says, hey, it's, you have little faith. The authority that they think comes like maybe this magic or this ability to conjure it up at any point. But that runs contrary to the life of discipleship. Why? Because it's never our power, our magic formula that can free anyone. It's only Christ in us. Amen? It's the power of Christ. Bustle it so much. Jesus, he doesn't say what's needed is giant faith. Notice he says even a tiny faith will do. Instead, what they are needing is true faith. Faith that beholds the glory of God and knows that our God can do anything. He's the God of the impossible. Mark 9, who also, again, records this same account, notice that Jesus says, well, because this kind comes only out by prayer. And some translations render it prayer and fasting. I think that in this moment, it's not Mark saying or Jesus is saying that we need some type of big fancy prayer that only really special people could pray. But instead, it's a life that is bathed in prayer and continually is living the reality that we can't transform anyone. But God, I know you can. And so, man, we just constantly on our knees in our homes and private gathering on our knees, praying in this place as a church. Each week we pray together. Your Sunday school class is just praying, knowing God, you can heal. God, you can set free. God, you can save. Today, you might be thinking, well, Blake, you know what? If I'd seen Jesus transfigured on the mountaintop like they had, I wouldn't be having all these doubts and questions. I would know that God's able to do the impossible. But I want to invite you back just for a moment back to the context. Notice what he says, verse 19. It's interesting, right? Then the disciples came to Jesus. Now, remember on the mountaintop, how many men went with him? Three. So presumably there's nine others. And guess what he does? He doesn't speak to the Peter, James, and John and say, well, since you guys had this experience, then you guys should have the faith able to move mountains, so to speak. You should know that God can do the impossible. No, he speaks to the entire 12. What's this say to us? I think it's a reminder to all of us that we don't have to have the great signs or the great wonders. We need to praise God when those do come, when God does a great work, when God speaks so clearly. But the reality is, I think it says to us, we don't have to have these great mountaintop experiences to have faith to believe that God can do the impossible. Isn't that encouraging? That you didn't have to be on that mountain. You can see the glory of Christ through these scriptures as the Spirit awakens you to this truth. It's the hope of the gospel, church. We can believe that Christ is able Interestingly enough, Peter talks about this very moment, this mountaintop moment later in his, his letter. And listen to what he says in Second Peter chapter 1, beginning of verse 17. For when he, speaking of Christ, received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. He's, he's telling you, we ourselves heard this very voice from, born from heaven, for we were with him where? On the holy mountain. He's recounting the story. Look what he says. Verse 19 is important. It's a hard one, but let's just hold it for a moment. And we have the prophetic words more fully confirmed. It's hard. But again, something about the prophet's words, he says they're more fully confirmed. Okay, I acknowledge this is a challenging statement, but let's, let's wrestle with it. 
to which he says you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. I think Peter seems to be saying that the transfiguration moment that happened on the mountain has served to confirm these Old Testament prophetic words. Right? He's saying, that, listen, they've been confirmed about who Jesus truly is. And I think further, it's Peter probably pushing in, reminding us all to look to the Word of God, saying to us, you will find truth in the Word of God that is on level with level ground with the experience that Peter's had on the mountain. Listen, we all want this mountaintop experience, but I think Peter is saying to us today that if you would look unto the Word of God, you will find just assurance of that truth. Beloved, you have the Word. It's the Word of God here. It's a beautiful Word. I think it has to encourage us the church that we don't have to chase every mountaintop experience or go here or there, church, church in whatever church is hot right now or whatever preacher or whatever's blowing and going, right? I don't think we have to buy the blessed handkerchief or the, the holy water on TV and do all that. We can see Christ through the Scriptures. Trusting that when He desires to give us a glimpse of His glory, He will do it through the Word by the power of the Holy Spirit. Beloved, Beholding the glory of God is what transforms us and sustains us. Today, we've been compelled by God himself to listen, to have faith in Jesus because he's the son of God who can do the impossible. Now, Matthew closes this chapter by saying, behold Jesus or look to Jesus, our deliverer. Verse 22, he says, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be delivered in the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. They're greatly distressed. Why? Because the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. He's going to be killed. That's distressing, right? I mean, again, they're hoping. They've been hoping. Peter and them have been hoping that if you're the true Son of Man, we're surely going back to Jerusalem and telling Rome, get out. God's come. The King's come. And Jesus says, in fact, I'm going to Jerusalem, but not to throw off Roman impression, but instead to die. And not only is that, I mean, look what it says. He's about to be delivered. It, depending on your translation, right, the word delivered here, I know the King James, Christian Standard, a couple others, that they say that about to be betrayed into the hands of men. There's a betrayal coming. This is something new. He's not revealed to them yet. He's about to be, he's going to be betrayed, right? And we know that's ultimately Judas. I mean, but in this moment of darkness, listen to this hope. And he, listen to what he says, and Jesus will be raised on the third day. It's a moment of hope. I mean, it's a moment of saying, listen, guys, in the midst of being betrayed and killed, we can have hope because the resurrection is coming. I don't know about you, but our family experience has been oftentimes that life and death collide. Have you experienced that? I mean, River was born two days after we buried my grandfather. Judah was born about a month after we had buried my dad. I mean, it just these moments of life and death colliding. Like, it, it, I don't know about you, but has life often brought to you that mountaintops and valleys so often collide so close together? Might we ask today, is there any greater collision here than death and resurrection? What opposite ends of the spectrum? Death is indeed the darkest valley, resurrection the greatest mountaintop, and they're coming within three days of one another. Wow. So maybe today you're here and you're going through suffering. I don't have a magic wand, but might we remember that the resurrection is but a few days away? As Paul says, hold fast, the night is nearly over. The day is dawning. 
the point I think Jesus is making again throughout this Matthew 16 to 17 is he's not suffering so that we don't have to. Jesus is suffering so that we can rest and have hope in him that our suffering is not pointless. That our laying down our lives in self-denial is not pointless. But in fact has a purpose that will only be realized fully at the resurrection of all things when Christ comes to set up his kingdom. So might we hold fast today and be encouraged? But again, remember, Jesus is our deliverer. Look unto him. And that's where Matthew finishes this account of chapter 17. It says, when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? The two drachma taxes for everyone that was 20 or older, right? They were required a half a shekel to pay. It was to support the temple tax. And so the tax collectors of the temple are coming and saying, well, does Jesus not pay the tax, the temple? And Peter says, well, yeah, of course. But when they come into the house, again, verse 25, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? What do you think, Peter? From who do the kings of earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? Who do they charge tax to? And Peter says, what? Peter says, what? From others. Come on now, stay with me. Come on, come on, come on. Peter. Oh, it's not on there. I'm sorry. Hey, good. Bring your B-I-B-L-E. They're not always going to work, right? I'm sorry. Thanks for letting me. Has it been out for a while? That's right. Oh, you guys are really kind. Thank you for that. I just thought, man, y'all are like so with me. And then I thought, man, they just totally... I, you can't give me... I know. You got to clap, stand up. It just, Yeah, throw something at me. Emily told me a few weeks ago. She's like, I try to get your attention forever. And you just... Anyway, that's... That wasn't at church. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, back to it, man. Back to it, back to it, back to it, back to it. I thank God for technology, but man, listen, let's always just let the text center. So again, I encourage you, bring your copy, right? This screen, whether it works or doesn't work, we want to look to the Word. So bring your B-I-B-L-E with you each week. I encourage you to do that. But I think the point is this. Jesus is saying, listen, just as the royal sons are exempt from paying taxes, so the true Son of God is exempt from paying taxes to His Father. And I think it's a reminder in another long list of them that Jesus is actually the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I think he's saying to us, and specifically to the disciples and to the church that's coming to be formed, is that while the temple exists, taxes exist. But in 70 A.D., guess what? Rome's coming in. The temple's going to be destroyed. A new day is coming when the church will be established. And by God's grace, through faith in the sacrifice of Christ, we're going to be loose from our sins. What Jesus does here is another glimpse of what is to come. He steps into our world of rules and regulations that none of us can keep well enough and says there's a new and perfect temple coming and it's me. I'm the true temple. If you want to come to my Father, if you want to come into the kingdom, I want you to know that you owe a tax, you owe a wage, you owe a payment, but you can never pay it. It's sinless perfection. It's loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says, I want you to know, though, the good news is I'll pay it on your behalf. I'll suffer in your place on the cross. I'll take the judgment of God for you that you can be free, that you could stand before God with no debt, that you could be received into me, the perfect, the true temple of God. It's this hope of the gospel shining through. So today, I think as we close, like, where do we go from here? And I think maybe Matthew 17 shows us all that we have great moments in life, don't we? I mean, we have moments in life in the words of Aerosmith. I could stay lost in this moment, what? Forever. You, man, y'all know Randy Travis or Aerosmith, a little struggle, right? Nonetheless, listen, I mean, Aerosmith sings that song, I could stay lost in this moment forever. We have those moments, don't we? I mean, we're, we're kind of like Peter, like, can we just stay here? 
God, can things just keep going in my life like they are? Some of you are thinking, God, when will it ever change? Like it, like it was before or like I hoped it would be. The reminder, I think, is from Matthew 17 that mountaintop experiences are like melting snow. They don't last forever. But the point is, when we see these moments, we need to behold the glory of God and realize that on the back end, often of the mountaintop moments comes moments of great lack of faith, of great suffering, even of children, of the work of Satan, of struggles. But the truth is, what do we see from Matthew 17? That Jesus, nor even his disciples, stay on the mountain. They don't. They come back down. It's a reminder to all of us that we, yes, long for the mountaintops, but we so often live in the valley. Let's be honest. Life brings more seemingly of the valley, doesn't it? The mundane, right? The disappointments, the brokenness than it does mountaintop moments. And I think it's a reminder that in both of these seasons, there's a call to faith. Mustard side sees faith to believe that God is still good. That He's still glorious even in the valleys, even in the hardest moments of life. Might we here today keep believing? Don't grow weary. Don't lose faith. Keep trusting. Keep holding fast to the Scriptures. Lock beside arms of other brothers and sisters who can shout that Amen. But does that mean that we should just dismiss the mountaintop moments? No. We shouldn't. We should... As one of my professors said, those, those are moments in which we should give ourselves over to those. To thank God for those moments when God speaks to you through the Word. When you hear the Word coming alive in your heart, maybe even this morning in a Sunday school class or this week as you were alone and the Word of God was just leaping forth. Give praise, confess sin, cry out to Him. Maybe in moments of worship you are encountering the living God. It's just fresh and real in a unique way. I want to encourage you, don't hold back in this place. Sing! Lift your voices! Don't hold back. Give yourself to the glory of God. Surrender to Him. Guys, listen, moments of God's glory, those glimpses shine through. And for you, it may be moments in nature when you walk out and just boom, you're like, God, you are amazing. Maybe moments when you're holding or spending time with a grandchild. It might be a meal, a special moment with friends. I want to encourage you. James says that every good and perfect gift comes from where? Above, from God. And guys, listen, when you're in the hard moments, let's learn to look back. And that's what the people of Israel did, didn't they? They looked back to the Exodus and said, guys, we may be in bondage now, but we know that our God is the emancipator. He has and he will set us free. We look to Daniel in the lion's den or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and say, God, this furnace is heating up. This life may be more than I can take, but I know, God, how faithful you were. And I know, Lord, you are the same God then as you are today. And, God, I'm just going to keep hoping and trusting in the midst of this that you're going to sustain me for one more step, God, one more day. And if I live to see tomorrow, you'll give me grace for tomorrow because I know that you're not only the God of the mountain. the God of the valley. And lo, though I walk through the valley, I shall fear no what, church? Come on. For thou art with me. Come on. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will what, church? Dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See how God's word from maybe as a kid is bearing fruit right now. 
bringing that to your heart and mind to hold fast in the valley. Because here's the truth. There is coming a day for those who are in Christ when it will be mountaintops for eternity. Hold fast. Fix your gaze on Him. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for Jesus. He's the author and finisher of our faith. Do the work that I cannot do by the power of Your Holy Spirit. Illuminate this text. Give us a desire to love You and to love others. Strengthen my brothers and sisters who are weak. May they hold fast in Christ even in the valley. We love you, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.